Embark on a journey of faith, fellowship and discovery with Vision Tours as you experience Australia's rich Christian heritage firsthand. Visit Christian heritage sites and museums in Sydney and across the Blue Mountains on this 10-day tour. Understand the people and events that shaped the fledgling colony with Outback historian Dr Paul Rowe. Join like-minded people this November with Vision Tours. See tour dates, highlights and inclusions at vision.org.au slash tours. Coming up today on The Story. Part of the richness of our heritage now has been lost because we have no sense of connectivity to this Passover event which occurred 1,500 years before the time of Jesus and prepared the way for exactly what Jesus himself would do when he would die upon the cross on the day of Passover as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, with Easter coming up this Sunday, it's time to take a look at the story behind the resurrection. We all know Jesus rose from the dead, but what is not as commonly known is that he was taking part in a Jewish holiday ritual immediately before his crucifixion. And this ritual, known as Passover, actually foreshadowed the death and resurrection of Jesus. Hebrew scholar Dr. John Gard joins us today to tell us the full story. He's chatting with Eric Scatterbo. Okay, so let's try to set the record straight here. Going back to the week of Easter, what was the Jewish ritual that Jesus was taking part in before his death and resurrection? Well, Jesus was definitely uh, very much involved within the context of the Jewish community into which he was born and reared and lived his life. And one of the great uh, celebrations within that community was Passover. Um, It's a very important holiday for the uh, Hebrew Scriptures and for the life of Jesus and and his apostles because uh, this was probably the most prominent uh, festival celebration within the Jewish community at the time of the first century. And uh, it basically was a festival to remember, as God had commanded the Israelites, uh, to uh, recall and remember the fact that they had been delivered from Egyptian bondage by the mighty outstretched hand of God and had been brought by him to Mount Sinai where they had entered into a covenant relationship with him to become his chosen people. And of course this was the matrix into which Jesus and his apostles were born and wherein they lived their lives. So it was very natural for them to celebrate every year the festival of Passover. As a matter of fact, it's very interesting, Eric, the Mm. fact that we can determine that the length of uh, the ministry of Jesus was actually a little over three years because we can identify three separate Passovers that he celebrates that are recorded for us in the the Gospel of John. So Passover was a very prominent uh, thing for the entire Jewish community and was very prominent for Jesus and his apostles as well. Okay, and of course the word Passover comes from when the Jewish people were passed over by the angel of death. That's exactly right. And God said, I will pass over those households where the blood of the uh, Paschal Lamb had been applied. And this was in that night of terror in Egypt when God himself visited the land of Egypt and all of the firstborn of the Egyptian families who did not have the blood applied to the doorpost of their uh, homes were uh, taken in that night, which brought about the Uh, the change of Pharaoh's heart to release the people and let them go free. So the important elements of that Jewish ritual was the killing of a lamb and the blood being sprinkled over the doorposts or on the doorposts 
so that the angel of death would pass over those people inside. That's exactly right. And so subsequent to that, God said, now what I want you to do every year, I want you to uh, remember and celebrate the Passover yearly as though you were once again in this same situation and God was delivering you. And uh, so he required them to eat the uh, the Passover lamb that they would roast and and eat as a family. Interestingly, most of these celebrations were done in the context of the, the individual family, so they would eat their lamb. Uh, they would also uh, eat bitter herbs, which reminded them of the bitter uh, circumstances of the slavery in Egypt, and also they were commanded to eat unleavened bread, which was the bread of haste, indicative of the fact that uh, the bread that they ate that night on that first Passover had not had time to, to rise and to be leavened bread, so they ate unleavened bread. So these were the three elements that were required uh, through the history of the Jewish people to uh, be carried out and uh, to celebrate the Passover properly, even up until the time of Jesus and the apostles and all the way up to the present day. It's still done within the Jewish people, except, again, since the time of the destruction of the temple, of course, the lamb uh, is not uh, eaten by the Jewish people, but they do remember the fact that the Paschal Lamb was sacrificed, and that was God's means of delivering them from Egyptian bondage when the uh, when the Lord passed through the land of Egypt and uh, spared the firstborn of their households. Mm. So this was, in effect, an object lesson, which uh, is really an interesting way of teaching in a very Jewish way. Absolutely. It, it is an object lesson. As a matter of fact, Paul talks about this for us, in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, when he says that all of those festivals and the foods and things that they ate and so forth were shadows of things to come, but the reality is Jesus. So everything that was going on among the Jewish people in those centuries, um, from uh, all the way back to Abraham's time, mm -hmm. were actually pictures, I guess you could say, of uh, what was to come, and the, the reality that was to come was Jesus, the Messiah himself. So Jesus was the Passover lamb. As a matter of fact, John uh, the Baptist, when he saw Jesus mm -hmm. coming to the point of baptism, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So this imagery of the lamb and the Passover was applied to Jesus very early on, and so it is absolutely uh, almost astounding uh, in the sovereignty of God, that Jesus was actually crucified on the very day of Passover, so that the Passover lamb, uh, who takes away the sins of the world, was crucified on exactly the same day that the Passover lamb was offered in Israel some 1,500 years before at the time of the Exodus. Wow, that's amazing. So let's go back to that. So Jesus actually partook in the ritual, did he not? Yes, he absolutely did. As a matter of fact, he told his disciples, and he sent some of them ahead of him into Jerusalem to prepare so that he and his disciples could eat the Passover together. And so uh, they uh, assembled that evening. We call it the Last Supper. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jesus uh, uh, served his disciples, and then at the conclusion of their celebration of the Passover uh, ceremony that all of Israel was celebrating, Jesus took of the the bread that was a part of that ritual, the unleavened bread, and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and told them to eat, that this bread was his body, which would be offered for the sins of the world. And then likewise, he took the cup of the fruit of the vine, and uh, he blessed God for that, as was the, the tradition among the Jewish people. 
And uh, then he presented that and gave it to his disciples, and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant uh, that is offered for the sins of many. And uh, so actually our our communion celebration that we uh, enjoy in Christianity that is so meaningful to mm-hmm. us uh, was birthed out of the matrix of the Passover celebration that Jesus and his disciples were engaged in at the very time of the Last Supper on the evening before the crucifixion took place. So uh, it, it's very, it points out very importantly to us the value of our understanding and being connected to these Hebraic foundations of our Christian faith because they enrich our faith and uh, cause us to understand more clearly who Jesus is and to understand more fully the work that he accomplished in behalf of the whole world when he died as the Passover lamb to save the whole world from the sin. Okay, so if you're a Christian and you celebrate communion and also if you celebrate the Easter holiday, the way to really, really understand it is to go back to its Jewish roots. Absolutely, and I think that's what's uh, so enriching about this whole idea. You know, it's not just an effort to try to make people be uh, Jewish or look Jewish or talk Jewish or whatever else. That's, uh, that's basically inconsequential. The real purpose in all of our teaching about the Hebraic foundations of our faith is to enrich our faith mm-hmm. so that we more fully understand it. And this is a perfect example. Uh, it's one of the things that's unfortunate for us as Christians that over a period of centuries, many of these things that were very foundational and fundamental to the faith of Jesus and the apostles have been lost to us, mm-hmm. uh, primarily because of the the fact that the Christian church, uh, toward the end of the first century and the beginning of the second century of the common era, began uh, an intense effort to uh, evangelize the world and the missionary efforts that were even a part of the Apostle Paul's ministry uh, into the Mediterranean basin. And primarily, this world that uh, the, the gospel was being taken to uh, had a strong influence of Greek culture and Greek language. And also, of course, the, 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 the Romans, the, the Latin culture, and the Latin language was predominant there as well. So the leaders of the church in that time frame began to try to contextualize the faith of Jesus and the apostles and you know, make it applicable to the people in those communities so that they could understand it. But over a period of time, they gradually lost some of the richness of the heritage of uh, the faith of Jesus and the apostles, and I think that's something that the church now needs to re-examine and begin to renew and restore a lot of what has been lost. Mm. So if I'm understanding you correctly, basically, in their efforts to make Christianity more acceptable to the uh, Greek world and the Roman world, they kind of watered down Christianity and lost its true beginning. Well, in some ways, and I, you know, I don't like to, to uh, try to characterize anyone as having had any evil uh, design or purpose in this. Uh, it's more or less something that just gradually happened over a period of really centuries. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll, g- I'll give you an example. Uh, the earliest church continued to uh, celebrate and memorialize the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus at the time of Passover. Well, in order to do so, the church had to go to the calendar that was... Uh, the calendar used by the Jewish community in the uh, in the time of Jesus and the apostles, and that was basically a lunar calendar. So mm-hmm. the, the Passover is established according to the lunar calendar. It's uh, on the 
14th day of the first month of the religious calendar among the Jewish people. And this is basically in the spring of the year, and it's at the time of the full moon, which the 14th day of every every, uh, lunar month would fall at the time of the full moon. And uh, so the church continued to do that uh, for many centuries. When we come on up into the time of the late third century, that would be in the 200s, the late 200s, and then the beginning of the fourth century, the early 300s, we find that the church had so uh, begun to drift into these other uh, Greek and Latin cultures that uh, there seemed to be some resentment uh, among the leaders of uh, parts of the church as to whether it was proper for the church to be consulting with the Jewish people and the Jewish rabbis in order to be able to determine which day was the 14th day of the first Jewish month. And so as this controversy began to arise, eventually it came to a head at the uh, Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. when Constantine himself, who uh, apparently had uh, not very much uh, confidence in the Jewish people at all, basically uh, demanded that the church uh, change its way of celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and not, not so much the way and the manner in which they were doing it, but the timing in which they were doing it, and so that they would have nothing to do with the, the Jewish people. And as a matter of fact, he made this statement, and I'll quote what he said to the leadership of the church. He said, therefore, let us have nothing more in common with these pitiful Jews hmm. who are the murderers and parasites of our Lord. Therefore, this irregularity, that is Passover observance, must be changed. And so the church arbitrarily decided to observe the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus at the time of the first Sunday nearest the vernal equinox, which now would tie the celebration of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with the Julian calendar at that time. Of course, now we use the Gregorian calendar, but the the Julian calendar was in use at that time, and uh, this uh, established the time for the church's celebration, that is, the, the, the Western church, the Latin church, its celebration of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with uh, timing it with the, the vernal equinox or the spring equinox rather than going back to the to the Jewish calendar. So basically what the Jewish people had celebrated and what Jesus himself celebrated all through his life on the 14th day of the first month of the Jewish calendar now was changed from that time to celebrating it uh, to coincide with the timing of the vernal equinox. And of course this brought into a lot of uh, other uh, ideas and concepts, even to the term Easter itself. The term Easter has absolutely nothing to do with anything in the Bible mm-hmm. anywhere. Uh, it's been ar- it was arbitrarily put into the King James Version uh, when the King James Version was brought forth to substitute for the word Passover. It clearly says uh, Passover in the in the Greek text in the Book of Acts, but uh, the word Easter was put in there. But actually, Easter is the spring goddess in uh, much of, uh, of Europe, and particularly in, uh, in the British Isles. Uh, this was what the, the name for that goddess was. So it was tying it in with spring. Again, the spring equinox, the timing, all of that comes into play. So that's where we actually get this, this term Easter. Now, you know, I'm not in any way trying to derogate the celebration of Easter because those who are 
believers and Christians that are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus on uh, Easter Sunday morning are honoring Jesus himself mm-hmm. and honoring God for the fact that that the Son of God did rise from the from the grave, and mm-hmm. because he did resurrect, then we have hope ourselves for eternal life, and this is a powerful uh, message for, for the whole world, but uh, particularly for us as Christian believers, because we know that our our future to be resurrected is dependent upon the fact that Jesus himself resurrected from the grave, and he did that. But mm-hmm. again, part of the richness of our heritage now has been lost, mm-hmm. uh, because we have no sense of connectivity to this Passover event, uh, which occurred uh, 1,500 years before the time of Jesus and set the, the stage and prepared the way uh, in type and shadow for exactly what Jesus himself would do when he would die upon the cross uh, on the day of Passover as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and liberate us not from Egyptian bondage but from the bondage of sin and death into the uh, glorious liberty of the kingdom of God. So it's, a, it's an exciting thing when you begin to think about it. You're listening to a special edition of The Story. With Easter coming up this Sunday, we're taking a look at the story behind the resurrection and specifically the significance of the Passover meal. We'll find out more insights into how Jesus was actually the fulfilment of the Passover when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is a special edition of The Story, where today we're preparing for Easter by taking a look at the story behind the resurrection. We all know Jesus rose from the dead, but what is not as commonly known is that he was taking part in a Jewish holiday ritual immediately before his crucifixion. The ritual is known as Passover, and it actually foreshadowed his death and resurrection. Hebrew scholar Dr. John Gar is sharing his insights with Eric Scatterbo. Let me uh, use an analogy here. It's kind of like everybody's familiar with part two of the movie, and the movie would be uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everybody is familiar with that, but nobody's familiar with part one, which is the Jewish basis of him fulfilling the Passover. That's exactly right. Um, you know, if, if it weren't for the Passover event that occurred 3,500 years ago, the question is, what would have happened 2,000 years ago uh, when the Son of God came, because he came within a context of his uh, Jewish family and Jewish community, the people with whom God had been dealing specifically as a nation for those 1,500 years. So the Passover, I, I, I often tell my audience, is that the Passover celebration uh, basically is just as foundational to Christian faith as it is to the Jewish faith, and probably more so, because mm-hmm. the two great events of salvation history took place on this very day, the deliverance of the Israelites from from the bondage of Egypt so that they could go into the promised land and then uh, create the nation out of which our Savior would be born 
and the nation that he came to minister to, and then secondarily, the greatest event of all human history uh, took place on this same exact day again when the, the very Son of God hung between heaven and earth and shed his blood as the, as the lamb that takes away the entire sins of the world and makes uh, atonement for, for our sins and brings us back into relationship with the living God. So, uh, you know, that's a great reason for us as Christians to continue to remember uh, this great season on our calendars. As a matter of fact, the interesting thing is the the the, uh, the Western Church continued to celebrate Passover until the 4th century when it was discontinued in favor of what came to be known as the Easter celebration. Mm. And But the Eastern Church now, Eastern Orthodoxy, continued to celebrate Passover all the way up until the 11th century. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a, uh, you know, something that happened uh, for a few decades within the earliest church, uh, more or less within the Jewish context, when most of the demographics in the church were Jewish people. This continued on for centuries in the church, but over a period of time became lost because of the church's uh, basic uh, design of disassociating itself from the Jewish people whom they came to, to consider to be the enemies of the faith of Jesus. And certainly that was uh, uh, a, a reprehensible thing, I think, mm. because it, it has robbed the church of a great richness of its heritage, but it's also created a great divide, a great division between uh, the Gentile Christians and the Jewish people themselves, which obviously was never the intent of Jesus or the apostles. Mm -hmm. Let me use another analogy, uh, this one from your book, Our Lost Legacy, where uh, it's kind of thought that Judaism is the parent and Christianity is the child. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't have the child Christianity if it wasn't for the parent, but yet the child Christianity went on to... Uh, persecute the parent. Well, and this is true. Uh, we have had some theologians in the last 50, 40, 50 years who have remarked upon this to consider this to be one of the great aberrations of history, how that the child could have risen up in such uh, antipathy toward the, uh, the parent, uh, because basically, uh, you know, when we talk about Judaism, we're not talking about modern-day Judaism or rabbinic Judaism. We're talking about biblical Judaism, the mm -hmm. faith that was a part of the lives of the, uh, you know, of Moses and the prophets and all of those, and was actually the faith in which Jesus and his, his earliest apostles were, were born and lived their lives. Uh, this, this basic faith ultimately produced two of the great religions of the world. One is uh, rabbinic Judaism, and the other is, uh, is Christianity. And, uh, and yet, you know, Christianity has uh, over a period of, uh, say, since probably this, this, the third century, the fourth century, up until really almost uh, the middle or, uh, I guess you could say, to the middle of the 20th century, was very, very uh, sternly against the Jewish people and against the Jewish religion. And it's an awful history that, mm. uh, you know, we Christians don't like to think too much about. But, of course, our, our Jewish friends uh, certainly know the history. And it's been a history of great uh, tragedy and persecution and so much that's been done uh, to uh, terrorize and persecute uh, individual Jews in the Jewish community uh, all through the Middle Ages and clear up to the, almost the present day. Uh, it's something I think the Church needs to take a long look at mm. and recognize that we have not borne the image of the living Christ, Jesus himself, in our relationship 
with the the uh, family, I guess you could say, of Jesus, the uh, actual um, people to whom he would have been genetically connected uh, in his life upon the earth. Certainly one of the things that we can do is to resolve that we will not allow ourselves to slip into this evil trap of... Uh, of persecuting any people. I mean, absolutely, Christians should love all peoples in the mm-hmm. earth. Uh, that's the commandment of Jesus. As a matter of fact, even if we had perceived the Jewish people as being the enemies of the cross of Christ, which I think is uh, probably an aberration as well, but even if we had, uh, in history, Jesus said to uh, the church that it was responsible to love its enemies and mm-hmm. to do good to them mm-hmm. that despitefully use. These are commandments that came from the very lips of Jesus himself. And yet the church has not done that, and I think it's to the church's shame. Mm-hmm. But again, not only has the, the the great damage been done to the Jewish people in history, but there's been great damage done to the church itself because the church has been impoverished by having lost a lot of this rich heritage of our faith mm-hmm. that we don't have any sense of connectivity to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've we've lost that sense of continuity. Uh, with the faith and and the peoples of the Old Testament and actually with the peoples of the time of Jesus as well. And uh, I think it's um, uh, literally thousands of people presently around the world and in virtually every denomination of the Christian faith are beginning to rediscover these Mm -hmm. connections. And they universally proclaim this is just so enriching, it's so powerful to have this connection and to to see where our faith came from and to understand our faith better by understanding uh, the matrix out of which it was born. And uh, I find this to be a a very rewarding experience for me, having been in uh, the field of specializing uh, in this whole area. I've uh, devoted all of my academic career and all of my ministerial career now for over 45 years and uh, to uh, researching and writing and teaching and preaching uh, to Christians to help them reconnect with the biblical faith of Jesus and the apostles, which just happens to be a Hebraic and even a Jewish faith, Mm -hmm. uh, because Jesus himself was, was obviously a Jew, as the Bible clearly tells us. That was Eric Scadabo chatting with Hebrew scholar Dr. John Garr, who was sharing with us the story behind the resurrection of Jesus. It's interesting to hear how the Jewish celebration of Passover and the Christian holiday of Easter parallel each other. For the Jew, Passover commemorates God's deliverance of the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt. For the Christian, Jesus becomes the Passover lamb, and we celebrate how his death and resurrection deliver us from the bondages of sin. To learn more about the Jewish roots of our Christian faith or to contact Dr. John Garr, you can visit his website, hebraiccenter.org. Hebraic is spelled H-E-B-R-A-I-C and center is the American spelling, C-E-N-T-E-R. Once again, that's www.hebraiccenter.org. Well, thanks for joining us for this special edition of The Story. As we prepare for Easter, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. This day has got a message, and it's, it's teaching us something. And that's why it is a good Friday, because it is a good message. It's the day that proclaims God's purpose in demonstrating his amazing grace and love 
for a world of sinners and, and redeeming guilty and hell-bound souls through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Join us for a special Good Friday edition of The Story as Pastor Aaron Morgan shares some timeless wisdom about just why it's called Good Friday. He also shares why the Easter story is so much more than just another story. That and more next time. 